0: We've been talking a lot about getting back to basics, talking to customers, audience research, how to differentiate yourself from the competition. So it's always really nice to talk to someone who just gets it. Such as today's guest, Phoebe Noche, who's the director of marketing over at Freight Friend. Hello again, Blythe Brumley with digitaldispatch.io. And as a writer, I feel like I just connect with other writers on a more intimate level. They know the work that goes into the research and editing side of things, but they also thrive in those moments where you're sitting at a keyboard and the information just flows from you. Or those moments where you feel really stuck and you have to pull the written word out of you like butter spread over too much bread. There's really nothing else like it. So since Phoebe is a fellow writer, we bond in this episode over how important that skill is in almost every role in marketing and really business itself. That's why she's leading the charge over at Flock Freight, where they have some of the better marketing in the industry. Hope y'all enjoy. Get
1: into the next discussion, because this is someone that I have been wanting to talk to for a long time, even before Cyberly existed. So now we are going to be welcoming in Phoebe Noche. She is the director of marketing over at Freight Friend. And Phoebe, welcome into the show. First question, Facebook name change, yes or no? uh, for my company or for myself? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, the the Facebook in general is, is rumored to be changing their name. Do you think it's a good idea or a bad idea? (laughs)
2: Okay. Um, it depends. So I know Google changed their parent company's name a long time ago. And I I mean, I think people kind of had a little bit of a similar response to that, but ultimately they didn't change the name of their, their branded products. So if Facebook does something like that, I think that's fine. But I think this is stemming from a lot of the um, pushback that Facebook has gotten from a lot of different things, and I think I bet Mark Zuckerberg was just saying, "You know what? People don't get us. We need to change our name." So um, (laughs) I think it depends on their approach to this. But if they, you know, they they keep their branded products, but then they you know change their parent company name, I think that would be fine.
1: Yeah, I I kind tend to agree because it's kind of like when Comcast changed their name to Xfinity, it's like everybody still knows you're Comcast, like you're not really right. fooling anyone. So I just thought that was an interesting uh, sort of news drop that that broke out I think earlier in, in this week. So we're going to be covering that later on in the show. So I thought I'd get your quick take on on you know there's a bunch of people talking out there of what they should change their name to, but I, I agree with you. I, I think that when Google changed their name as Alphabet, I think is their their parent company name now, uh, but neither here nor there. Let's get into the discussion with you and and everything cool that that you've been doing. But first, whenever I talked with clients or leads, I I tend to tell them that the first marketing hire that they should have is a writer. And you come from a journalistic background. And seeing as how you're you're a writer with an extensive background, how do you think that it has helped you with your job today?
2: So I think writing is an important skill to have regardless of what role you have in an organization. Um, It helps you better communicate. If you're a salesperson, for example, it helps you better communicate, um, you know, what it is you actually do and and why your product is so great. Um, I think having those sort of like writing instincts, that's just a a skill that is often overlooked. Um, It has writing is just a huge part of my, everyday responsibility. So that could be anything from website copy to writing articles on our blog to, um, writing, you know, the email, our email marketing. So it, it really touches every single facet of my, of of my responsibilities, um, for my day. And so having that sort of background has been extremely, um, it's just been really helpful for me to be able to, to better communicate, you know, what, what differentiates our product and why people should be buying it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because then you don't have to have that, those instances where you're, you're sending it off to a writer and you just hope that they do a good job. And, and that's very difficult to find a good writer. So to start off with, being a good writer, I think just helps so much more of the, it, just the entire company. Like you said, emails to website copy to everything. Um, so, so you're the director of marketing over at Freight Friend, but before you joined Freight Friend, give us a little bit of a background of, of your career and how you found yourself working in Freight.
2: Sure. So it was, not expected at all. My original background, like you mentioned, was in journalism. Um, I was a food editor for about four years for Cooking Light magazine, which was a Time Inc. brand at the time. Um, and I actually left that uh, to go get my MBA in marketing. And since then, I've worked at startups. I've done marketing consulting, um, and I actually was recruited out of my consulting gig to to run marketing for Freight Friend. And one of the reasons why I joined was. It's kind of funny, but a startup that I worked at two jobs ago, um, a company moved into our same building and that company was called ship Bob. I don't know if you know about them. Um, but they, they they do fulfillment. They're kind of a little bit of a unicorn in the industry. They, um, they raised a very large series E that coincidentally, my friend's husband, uh, worked for the VC that raised that round. And so, um, just that kind of, there there was a little light bulb that went off in my head about the industry and knowing that there was a lot of investment being poured into it. Um, And so when a recruiter kind of tapped me for this role, I knew that it was a great opportunity to get into kind of a, a little bit more of an old school industry that was really seeing a
1: transformation. Yeah, definitely. Because especially when you come from the startup world, obviously, you're, you you've talked about being a writer. How do you think that that experience helped you? Or, or did you was it more of a, I guess, a, a longer learning curve, joining Freight Friend? Or, or was it just you hit the ground running, uh, based on your experience that you had with, with other companies?
2: I think having been at other companies, at other startups, it was really helpful in being able to pivot really quickly, having that sort of, um, being able to be a little bit more nimble and agile when it comes to making decisions. Um, and also just wearing so many different hats, um, that that's something that I do every single day and something that I am fortunate to have had the experience to do in the past. Um, I would say that it's not necessarily. It, it was definitely a uphill battle um, to learn uh, about this industry. This industry. I mean, if you're an outsider, you might know some basic things about supply chain. You see the trucks on the roads. So you know that goods are moving back and forth. However, you don't really know the ins and outs of the industry. There's so much um, jargon uh, and, and vocabulary and just things that you just learning the lingo was really tough, but, um, I fortunately have a really great team to work with. Um, our founder and CEO, he's been in the industry for almost 40 years. I think, um, he was yeah. one of the founders of back haulers, um, our director of business development, Jeff, I probably ping him millions of times per day <laughs> asking questions. Um, so sorry, Jeff. Um, but he comes from a brokerage background Our CCO comes from a brokerage background. So, um, having, you know, that kind of mind share has been really helpful in kind of, you know, getting to know the industry and also great resources like, um, you know, reading freight waves articles and things like that have been really helpful.
1: Now, you mentioned, you know, wearing a ton of hats whenever you you first got to Freight Friend. I imagine that that's still the case because there's so many companies that are, are just honestly blessed if they even have one person dedicated to marketing. But you're you're a one-woman show from what I understand. So how are you balancing, the, I guess, the role of, of being director of marketing and, and wearing all of those hats? It's
2: really about prioritization. So when I first got here, it w- we wanted to start basically from scratch, um, and so for me that was better understanding our users, how they use the product, um, just understanding status quo, um, you know, doing some of those interviews with um, people in the industry, and then and then being able to kind of make a game plan and say, hey, we want to redo the website as soon as we can. We um, our sales team needs materials to sell. So they need sell sheets. They need, you know, the contracts and all those sorts of sales enablement tools. Um, so that was kind of the, the start. And then eventually um, you can focus a little bit more on long-term sort of goals. And so for example, right now, you mentioned a lot about SEO um, previously and, and that's something that I'm actually focusing on right now and, um, and doing a lot of that through through owned content.
1: And, and so when you first arrived, so you really, I guess you sort of honed in on prioritizing those different immediate needs. And then I guess from reading between the lines, then you can start to kind of navigate after you develop those first, like, I guess, quick needs, then you can start to navigate what I guess a, a traditional marketing plan looks like. Can you walk us through of, of where after those immediate needs are met? where you started focusing your efforts? Was it really on on the content creation or were there other areas, maybe, uh, you know, a content experimentation with like podcast or, you know, uh, SEO is w- what you mentioned now. Is that kind of where you're focused at now is more SEO?
2: So I really believe that if you do well in your own channels, you will, you know, do well in earned channels. Um, and when you are a startup with a limited budget, that's something that's extremely important is that as much as I would love to spend all the money in the world on sponsored content and that type of distribution, and you mentioned ads earlier, you know, being able to pour a lot of money in ads—that's just not something that um, I'm able to to prioritize right now. And so, um, focusing on that own content, really being honest and um, understanding, um, you know, how can we provide education and solutions mm-hmm. for? Um, for our, our three big sets of users, which are shippers, brokers, and carriers. Um, and then ultimately how does that tie into the larger marketing picture? So like, like you mentioned SEO, that is something that I like this week is something that I'm super focused on. Um, and, and a lot of that, you know, it's just like through, through keyword research, through optimizing our website and all sorts of things like that.
1: And I feel like marketing and, and especially when it comes to like SEO and content, it just never ends. There's always something that you have to add to the to-do list, but you, you mentioned something that I, I thought was great because it actually ties into one of the quotes that I, I heard from you say on, on another show where it says content marketing is educational. It's not promotional. What are some areas of marketing that you think most businesses miss the mark? I think when it comes to beating me, marketing
2: A lot of people are just so advertorial. They're so, um, they, they want to, they want to talk about their company in, in that limited sort of time span that they have to shout it to the world. Right. And that's, that's, that's a huge issue. Um, people don't want to be sold to. They, they just don't. Even when they want to buy your product, they don't want to be sold to. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially with content, that's where they're missing the mark. They're, They're every, you don't want to be associated with promoting yourself at every turn, whenever you open your mouth, that's just something that you just, people are going to start tuning you out. Um, and I think a lot lot of people, they miss the mark on their own channels. All their, Mm. all their posting are, you know, um, like so-and-so got a promotion and here is, um, like Here's this great new thing that we did. Here's a culture, um, something something great about our company culture. And those things are a valid part of the marketing mix. But for a lot of people, that's the only part of their marketing mix. And what they really need to do is focus on what their audience is interested in first. I think if you keep that in mind, then you won't go wrong.
1: Do, do you have a process for figuring out what your your audience wants? I think that that's where, that's where I kind of struggle with uh, personally. And, and I really only get a ton of insights when I talk to my actual customers. So, so do you guys have sort of, I guess, a, maybe a, a feedback loop? Or, or how are you finding out what your audience ideally wants?
2: Um, so I think there's a couple of ways that you can do that. One is through
1: data. If you
2: happen to collect data... Um, so for example, through our platform, we are able to uh see user behavior um and understand user preferences. And so that's just, you know, one data point that I can use. Additionally, I think that marketers can can do a better job of speaking with their sales teams. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of salespeople, they don't realize what a wealth of knowledge that they are. Um they're the ones on the front line speaking to potential customers. Um, If they do their own account management, they are also speaking to existing customers. So, um, you know, understanding why someone didn't sign with you or, you know, what are those roadblocks that people are putting up whenever they're trying to sell the product? Um, You know, what are people looking for that maybe you don't have or maybe people don't or people are perceiving your product correctly or incorrectly. And, and just having those maybe like biweekly sit downs um, with your sales team and, and doing those sort of interviews to, to suss out that knowledge. I think that's something that a lot of marketers um, leave on the table.
1: I, I, absolutely co-sign one of, uh, especially meeting with the sales department, because that's where I think sales also understands where you're coming from, from a marketing perspective. And so then you can kind of just share information instead of it being this sort of sales versus marketing, uh, battle that historically is known. I think that that's, you know, that perception is kind of changing nowadays, but you, you, you started to talk about, um, Freight Friend, the product. For those who don't know, can you give us a little bit of a rundown of what the product actually is? And, and you, you said it helps shippers, brokers, and carriers. How does that all play nicely together?
2: Sure. So we are a data powered truckload procurement platform, kind of a mouthful. Um, but for it's for shippers, brokers, and carriers to really collaborate in a, a trusted ecosystem. Um, we have like a French a mutual friendship aspect um, to the platform. And ultimately the idea is to match the right capacity to the right freight. Um, if people value relationships over automation and don't get me wrong, we, we do automation ourselves and that is an important part of the puzzle. Um, but we believe that relationships are the backbone to this industry. Um, and really double down on that. So if relationships are important, that's how we have really, um, uh, created and continue to position our product um, is, is to build those relationships with each other as logistics partners.
1: So, so how does it, I guess, fit into, like, say, if I'm a broker, how does this tool fit within my workday? Am I checking it like first thing in the morning? Am I checking it? Am I keeping it open on, you know, maybe an extra tab on the browser? H- how does it fit into the, the I guess, a typical workday?
2: Sure. So for brokers, um, there are a couple ways that we see people use it. Um, some people kind of just set it and forget it and use the automation piece of it. So, um, they let the platform auto communicate loads to their carriers and then they receive inbounds. And that is one way. Um, ideally I think you would benefit even more by being more proactive, um, putting in, you know, updating information, um, Updating carrier profiles, putting in all of that data to really—I um, mean—that's really how the algorithm gets better for you. And so we do have—we um, do have some brokers who are uh, your source when your sourcing team is living in the product. That's—that's, um, that's, I think that's really the way that they can benefit the most from it. Um, for shippers, there's kind of two big buckets, um, so they can use it as. Um, more of like a dynamic, um, routing guide. So it can pick up when a routing guide fails, it can help, Mm. um, help you tender more flexibly. And then also we have a micro bidding function. So instead of waiting for, um, instead of waiting for, uh, you know, the annual bidding process, which is super complex and a little bit cumbersome, you can initiate micro bids on the fly.
1: Oh, that's cool. So, and I think too that you guys have a a CRM functionality to it as well. If I understand that correctly, I I was going through some of the, some of the website and I was like, Oh, it's a CRM too, because I feel like CRM is just one of those things in this industry that isn't used enough. And it isn't when they, you know, companies do have it, they don't use it to its full advantage. So, so am I right in that level of thinking that it has a CRM functionality too?
2: Yes, we do have a CRM functionality, but it's not CRM in the sense that. Not like a Salesforce sort of CRM, but mm-hmm. a uh, a carrier relationship management tool. Um, so you can you can update you know carrier profiles and collect you know that sort of knowledge base there. Um, and other people on your team can look at it. Um, it's something that it's really like a repository of data that is also you know being used to do the data matching.
1: And, and does the the other tool that that I noticed that that was kind of a standout is the Capacity Guru. Does the capacity guru, is that kind of the the CRM too? Or are they playing together? How, how does that, how does the capacity guru function?
2: Sure. So we actually have two gurus. There's a capacity guru and freight guru, not to be super oh, wow. confusing. Um, but the capacity guru is that dynamic routing engine, engine that I mentioned before. Um, it, it ranks and prioritizes carriers for, you know, any shipment or, or shipping lane. Freight guru does the same thing, but for freight, Um, I think the easiest way for people to think about that is, uh, like the digital freight matching that people know and love already. Um, I think the difference really for those two products is that is really under the hood. Um, so it has the most sophisticated data blending that I've personally seen on the market. Um, and that, uh, in conjunction with the machine learning aspect, it continuously, Learns you know, based on user behavior and preferences, and um, it just continuously updates that information so you're never working from something that's stale.
1: And, and and two with with the the program, because I feel like this is something that isn't done a lot in the industry, and that is the or it's it's coming along, uh, but integrations into other platforms, other TMSs in, in particular. How does FreightFriend play nicely with some of these, I guess, larger TMSs? Is it it a complement to it or is it kind of a a replacement for, for some of the functionalities that maybe a TMS may be a little bit weaker in? Or is it really like proprietary data that you should absolutely be using, you know, first and foremost, like maybe start your day with it?
2: So we see it as like a TMS booster, um, we integrate with at a minimum basis, at least, um, with all of the major TMSs on the market right now. Um, I mean, but it can range from, you know, just like a live data sync all the way to book now functionality or quote functionality. Um, however, we are built on microservice API architecture, which means that um, we can integrate with proprietary TMSs or we do have some customers who don't want to work on our platform, they want to work within their own UI, and we're able to do that as well.
1: That, that's unreal that you can you can speak so eloquently on all of these like complex like tech integrations <laughs> and, and the, the functionality of the platform. But then on the other side, I think you're you're a one woman marketing show, right? So, so do you have a team? What, what does your, I guess, sort of day to day structure look like of your workday? Uh,
2: it varies every single day um, sometimes there's fires you have to put out and I, I think it really just comes down to prioritizing and chunking out my blocks of time mm-hmm. um, Our CCO does have um, have a marketing background in addition to you know the the functions that he does today on a day-to- day basis so having him on board has been really helpful and having another marketing mind um, and then as I mentioned before I talked to our sales our director of uh, business development constantly through G chat, um, just about, you know, different things that he needs or, um, asking him questions about different things too. So, um, so it it just varies. So one day I might be, uh, working with one of our freelancers on, um, some articles that they're writing and, and editing those another day. I might be, um, like, scheduling social media posts. And then another day I might be, you know, working on that email newsletter, working on our website. It just really, really depends, but that's kind of what makes it exciting.
1: Now you, you talked about chatting with your, your, uh, business development, but how are you, I guess, managing that relationship between marketing and sales? Are you guys having regular meetings? Because I think that that's such a big challenge for for so many other companies. How are you finding success and in, in talking to, is it almost just like a friend relationship? Like, uh, or there, do you have to, I don't want to say like force it, but do you have to have those regular bi-weekly meetings that maybe is, is probably the right route of, of what you said earlier? How are you managing that relationship?
2: Um, so we do have two meetings every single week that are more formal. Um, but there is a little bit of a friend aspect. And I think for me, I do like to get to my, know my coworkers on more of a personal level. Um, but of course that's not necessarily necessary. Um, I think it's really just having that open line of communication, having a little bit more of a flat hierarchy also helps. Um, and, and ultimately it's like, a. uh, you know, it's both a give and a take, right? You have to understand their needs, and and hopefully they are able to understand yours as well. Um, it really just comes down to to having that open line of communication.
1: Has it has it ever happened? Not maybe not at Freight Friend, but it, you know, previous marketing jobs where where the sales team is just like you come up with an idea and, as a marketer, and then you go to them, and they're like, "No, that stinks." Has that ever happened to you? Because it's happened to me a few times.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, there was a there was another startup that I worked at where it was truly the sales team was pitted against everyone else. Um, at one point, they were even selling things that were off book and just expecting the everyone else to execute, which made it pretty rough in terms of rapport. Um, and so, I think what kind of helped solve that a little bit was creating more formalized processes, uh, making mm-hmm. sure people were right page with, um, messaging. Um, and then we did have to come down to a weekly meeting, um, just to even update each other on what we were doing, um, to make sure that we were all on the same page and working together in concert versus against each other.
1: Yeah. There's, there's nothing like a a rogue employee, like going to zoom info and (laughs) buying an email list and then choosing to send everybody a mass cold email. There's a, that, that's, that's infuriating. It may or may not have happened in a previous life for me. (laughs) Now now there was, there was another uh, article that, that I really liked that you wrote and it says how to create content for boring industries. And, and one of your points was storytelling. How do you approach storytelling in a, you know, quote unquote, boring industry?
2: (sighs) When I say boring industry, I think it's not that industries are inherently boring. It's that people don't think that they have anything of value to say, um, Mm -hmm. that they don't have a story themselves. And that's just absolutely not true. And I've worked in a lot of different um, industries that may fall under boring industries. So, for example, um, I had a previous client uh, who was in... Uh, like a construction equipment industry. And they were actually very, they're a household name. Um, They, uh, they were trying to fall into that trap of just, just putting out like promotional advertorial sort of content. And I think what it is, you just have to, to dig in and say, Hey, what are you working on? Let's talk to, you know, your innovation team and say, you know, what are, what are you seeing as are that are trends in the industry and what are the things that you guys are working on next mm-hmm. or, or talking to, um, a leader in the company who has been in that industry for a long time and listening to their war stories, just letting people talk, um, about their experiences. You can really suss out some really interesting threads to, to go down on, mm-hmm. um, I I, talking with the sales team, as I mentioned before, digging into your data, um, there might be things that you uncover that you didn't realize could be a really great infographic or, um, you know, a really great blog post that you could expound on. There are just a lot of different, um, uh, ways to, to look for a story. I just think people aren't digging deep enough
1: yeah cuz i think that most people they'll they'll say like oh storytelling is so important and yes we know it's important but i think a lot of businesses are wondering where to even get started so so you listed off uh, you know a bunch of different recommendations in order to get started with your own storytelling and in in order to find those pain points so you, that you can speak to them um, now now when it comes to to first timers in the logistics space i think that there are a lot of companies that are afraid to jump into content marketing do you think that starting with with the sales team is, is a good approach to get started with content marketing or, or maybe is there another, you know, low hanging fruit opportunity that they, you think that they should be taking advantage of?
2: I mean, that's definitely one way that you could do it. I think people just need to ask themselves what is interesting to them. Um, Mm. I think people are so afraid to, to even approach it that they kind of hit this roadblock and don't even get started. Um, just, just, just get started. I think that will, that will, you know, kind of start the flow and especially start the flow ideas and also position your team to start thinking about things, um, uh, from a content marketing perspective. Um, and that could even be, uh, you know, someone, you know, goes, this a client and, uh, ends up just taking a photo of something cool that they're doing, you know, at that at, like on site that one picture is technically a piece of content, right? Like that's just, that's just one approach. So I think people just need to get started. They need to think about what is important to them because chances are, it's probably important to some other people. Um, And then just also looking at what are some of the trends in the industry? Um, You know, what are, what are the things that other people are talking about frequently and how can you kind of put that, um, uh, put a personal spit on it, put your own lens on it. Um, and, and really those are just like some really basic, easy ways to get going.
1: Yeah. I, I love that point that you made about, you know, if you're visiting a customer, just take a picture of something cool that they're doing, because then if you post it, then the customer loves it. They probably share it with their audience. Their competitors are probably checking it out and, and, and seeing what's going on. So I think that it definitely has a ripple effect where you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're doc, it's like Gary Vee says, and I. You know, some people cringe when it whenever I quote him, but it says document, don't create. And so when you train your brain in order to start looking for things like that, you'll start to notice them more often, which is, you know, it makes creating content, I think, a lot easier. And and, and all right, second to last question. As the former food editor for Cooking Light magazine, we got the holidays coming up. What's your favorite recipe that you think that that folks should try out?
2: Um, uh, This is not a Cooking Light recipe. In fact, this is a very... <laughs> heavy and not healthy recipe um but this this recipe was on uh the New York Times cooking uh uh, uh website it's i think it's called buttery breakfast casserole but it is mm-hmm. a it is it is so delicious it use instead of bread they use um croissants um uh, and then Ooh. there's a ton of Gruyere cheese and heavy cream and it just it's delicious and absolutely worth the calories
1: all right so buttery breakfast Ca- is it casserole, casserole or I, I already forgot <laughs> casserole I'm gonna google that as soon as the show is over because I need some holiday cooking ideas all right so Phoebe where can people follow more of your work where can they follow freight friend all that good stuff
2: freightfriend.com um that's the easiest way to to keep track of what we're up to
1: Awesome. Well, I appreciate your, your your time and perspective so much. I, I think that you're one of the smartest marketers in this industry. So I encourage everyone to, to go and follow your work, link to them all in, in the show notes, just to make it easy for you. Thank you again, Phoebe, for coming on the show. It's a long time coming.
2: Thank you so much. It was fun.
1: <laughs> awesome. Appreciate it. Well, Phoebe is such a great, just a, obviously it's a great interview talking with somebody like that, who has, you know, that the background of being a creative in other industries. And so I think that that gives you a little bit of an edge. So, you know, any company that's out there that's thinking of, of hiring somebody in, in marketing or getting a little bit more creative, I think hiring somebody that's from outside the industry helps a ton because then you get those fresh pair of eyes where you maybe will have some blind spots um, being sort of a, a veteran in this industry. So Highly, highly encourage everybody to go follow Phoebe's work. Um, She has a great blog too, so, so be sure to check that out.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. If you like what you heard, consider sharing it with a friend. Podcast discoverability is a bit of a challenge for creators like myself, so word of mouth goes a long way. You can check out past episodes of the show by hitting up the Learn page on digitaldispatch.io. I also have some free courses on the site that cover content marketing, distribution, and even how to audit your own website. That's going to come in handy as everyone starts to prepare for those 2022 budgets. While you're there, you can also check out our socials, the DIY shop, or custom services. Until next time, I'm Blythe Brumlieb, and I will see you real soon.